This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Roker Report podcast in association with Forks Brewery. I'm your host, Alex, as always, and we'll be jumping straight into This Week in Football for Sunderland Association Football Club. On today's episode, we'll be covering our loss in the Cup at the hands of Oxford United. Yesterday's 1-0 win against the fairly, well, I say fairly, extremely woeful Southend United. And we'll also be answering some fan questions on the matter before looking ahead to our Leasing.com tie with Leicester City's under-21s. I am joined in the studio today by Sam of Roker Report. How are you doing, Sam? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, you know. I've um, plodding along. I've been a lot worse on these pods, given how recent things have gone. Yeah, it could always be better, but it could always be worse, couldn't it? That's true, that's true. And we're also joined by the Chronicles' Craig Johns. How are you doing, Craig? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. What have you made of this last week in football for Sunderland? Yeah, it's, uh, it's never dull, is it? At Sunderland, of course, uh, as well as matters on the pitch, we also had that investment news this week, which uh, will hopefully be good news for Sunderland going forward. I don't think, just to quickly summarise, the, the defeat and the knockout of the Carabao Cup was a desperately poor thing for Sunderland. Uh, of course, priorities in the league. Uh, and then they got back to winning ways in the league yesterday against Southend. So, yeah, uh, an interesting week as always. Yeah, yeah. It's never it's never particularly dull, is it? <laughs> nice. No. I think we may just have a little bit of time, just a little bit, to talk about the, the small matter of the um, investment that is, um, as we have found out this week, finally being completed. But we'll start with a bit more of a, a bit more of a dour topic before we get on to the more interesting ones. The loss in the cup at the hands of Oxford. So, as a brief summary of the game for those who, who weren't paying as much attention to it, are you know, if, if 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 for whatever reason, Sunderland drew one-one with Oxford in normal time and weren't able to fulfil Jack Ross's um, long-awaited ambition of winning a game 1-1 because they, in fact, lost Oxford on penalties, meaning that Oxford go through to the quarterfinals and will play Man City at home. So I'll start with you, Sam. Are we particularly bothered by this kind of game and this kind of result? Um, It's hard because straight after the game, I think you're more bothered. Obviously, when time goes by and you look back now, you're sort of not relieved because you want to win every game, every Sunderland game you watch. You want, you want to win, don't you? But... I think at the time it was hard because I, I thought we played really well in the game. I thought second half we we, uh, we deserved to win it in normal time, really. I think I think nine should have had a penalty um, and then that could be 2-1 easily. Um, but no, I think obviously league's the priority, but you do want to win every game. So it, it, was, it was disappointing at the time, especially when you play so well, but obviously you can take positives when you play well, so... That might have helped the players, if anything. Yeah, yeah, and of course, as well. Um, uh, the, I mean, t- to maybe take the angle of the, uh, the 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 typical Sunderland fan that I am, 
is it the case that we were never really going to win this competition so we should just be focusing on the league and we should just be quite content to put that um, fixture behind us? Yeah, I get what you're saying and you look who Oxford have drawn in the next round and you might have been a decent day out but we would have more than likely got battered off Man City so is it better to go out the way we did with arguably our heads held high than a than a big defeat in midweek in, in the middle of two league games could have been better for us if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of jump in there as well, I think in the Carabao Cup, you consider the uh, kind of bigger implications of financial as well. Of course, in the Carabao Cup now, you don't get any financial um, benefit of progressing until you get to the semi-final, which, as we've said, because of the draw with Manchester City, the likelihood is that there wouldn't be progression to yeah. the semi-final. Whereas, for example, in the FA Cup, again, it's not going to be the priority, but the more you progress in the FA Cup, you get extra money for every round. So potentially more incentive to progress in that competition. Is there an argument to be made, though, Craig, that even though you know you wouldn't see the money come in as like a bonus for getting that far, there would be a lot earned from the revenue of getting Man City at home? Yeah, I mean, of course, there would be that kind of revenue if there was uh, if there was you know enough people attending the game. I'm sure there would be because it's Man City. Um, but on the grand scheme of things, you know, we saw last season the build-up of fixtures and everything else. I think, uh, you know, with this new investment coming into the club as well, it's uh, it's it's what you would get on gate receipts would be minor in comparison. Uh, so better to focus attention elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Looking at the actual game itself against Oxford, what were your general thoughts on it, Craig? Well, I thought uh, obviously Phil Parkinson went uh, three at the back to start off with, and. Uh, you know, we saw Jack Ross try that in pre-season and then the first two games of the season and it didn't work then. Uh, Phil Parkinson's obviously a new manager now, so completely fair that he wanted to experiment with that and, and, and try it out himself. And I think not just experimenting, but it was also quite a necessity because, of course, we're, we're short on wingers at the moment. We're Lyndon Gooch out injured. Duncan Watmore missed the game with a virus. Uh, so, uh, of course, Chris Maguire was suspended. So, Aidan McGeady was pretty much the only fit, natural winger they had available on the night. So, the way that he set it up allowed Aidan McGeady to go into a number 10 role, a bit of a free role, which I think a lot of people wanted to try and see him in as well. And I'm sure Phil Partington wanted to too. Um, but for me, that formation just doesn't work for Sunderland. They looked very disjointed. They just looked like they didn't really understand what they were doing. I think to play that system, you need good defenders who can play the ball out from the back. And uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Joel Lynch. I think he's been exceptional since he came in. But he probably had his worst game since uh, coming to the club on Tuesday night at Oxford. He, uh, he he really struggled with that, and I think he's usually very composed on the ball. So whether or that whether or not that system change was a factor in that, I don't know, but it certainly looked that way. Now these Go might on. be early days for Sunderland, and obviously there are going to be teething problems with any new manager. They're going to try new things, as you've said there. They're going to experiment, and not everything's gonna, not everything's going to go perfectly straight away. That's just a thing that is always the case in football. But when you look at the game, and I know Sam touched on this, would you argue that on another day, you know, we could have very easily won that? I mean, you had a penalty appeal waved away. Max Power missed that complete sitter. So, you know, let, let, let's say that um, those two those two chances do go our way and we convert, we win that game 3-1, you know, if everything else stays the same. So is there an argument to be made there that, you know, despite despite the new manager's transition and all of the consequences that come with that, we are still looking pretty good. Just it, it is still looking promising based on based on what we did in that game. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I mentioned the negatives there of going three at the back. That didn't work for me. But like you you rightly see, I mean, Mark McNulty hit the post just before Oxford got their opener. He then set Max Power up for that sitter. And that was when there were still three at the back. Joel Lynch as well. I didn't see it at the time because of where the press box is in Oxford. And it's right at the other end of where the penalty happened. We've mentioned the late Luke 9 one, but there was also the Joel Lynch one where the keeper came through, completely missed the ball and took uh, Joel Lynch out. I mean, that was a stonewall penalty in itself as well. So, I mean, you take that penalty, you take the late Luke 9 penalty. Max Power should bury his chance at the end of the first half. There were plenty of positives and certainly when they went back to four at the back in the second half, I think it was 55th minute, Will Grigg came on, uh, Joel Lynch went off and, and Sunderland completely controlled the game from then on. Bearing in mind Oxford were the informed team going into that game as well and uh, I think definitely there are positives to take. And The thing that I've enjoyed so much about since Phil Parkinson's come, the results, Tranmere and yesterday against Southend aside, haven't necessarily come yet. But Sunderland are always looking to be on the front foot. There's a lot of attacking intensity now within that team. And uh, and yeah, I just think it's generally a lot more positive and a lot better to watch since Phil Parkinson's come in. Going back to you here, Sam, now, so far in his career, um, Phil Parkinson is overseeing three losses hitherto. He's overseen the Wickham game, which we lost 1-0, the game away to Shrewsbury, and of course, we lost on penalties to Oxford, which is, by all accounts, another loss. But based on how we've played that game, as Craig said, we've played with a lot of attacking intent and we have looked to control games, and you would argue that we've, for the most part, succeeded in doing so. So despite the results on paper not looking particularly rosy as of yet, is there a lot of reason to assume that Sunderland, Sunderland under Phil Parkinson are a very promising prospect? Yeah, I definitely think so. Even you go back to the Shrewsbury game and we're desperately unlucky in that game. I think we hit the post or bar three times and their goal just came from a cross in the box. He hits it on the turn the first time. It could could happen any time, you know, and um, Oxford was the same. I mean, Craig touched on it. We were like inches away from going 1-0 up and they hit us on the counter-attack and make a 1-0 themselves, which it's, it's desperately unlucky. And I think the two away games... Uh, bar Wickham, I think we deserve to get beat off Wickham, but he'd only been in the job a day. Mm-hmm. I think we've been desperately unlucky. And like Craig said, not counting Wickham, I think every game we've played under Partington, we've been the better team and on the front foot, which under Ross, especially the away games, like you look at Lincoln and even Bolton and stuff, that wasn't the case at all. We were lucky to, we would have been lucky to get stuff from uh, games like Lincoln, which under Partington, yeah, we've lost against Shrewsbury and Oxford, but we were just desperately unlucky. And it's, that was the thing under Ross. People would say, um, yeah, we might grind out results, but it's the performances. We're just not there. And I think under Parkinson, we're looking to have turned that round. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get into more about Parkinson and just what he's doing with the Sunderland side at the moment and all the strengths and weaknesses that we've identified so far. But before we do get onto that and the tran- and the Tranmere and the South and the South End game itself, Let's talk a bit about the small matter of the investment. So that's finally been completed, Craig. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it looks like a good thing going forward. Uh, we know these three Americans are, are quite serious. Um, they actually looked at a number of other clubs in England that have been interested in coming into English football for quite some time now. And I think it, it says a lot about the state of Sunderland Football Club right now that, you know, yes, initially it was going to be a takeover, then it was going to be some investment where they would take some shares now they've just invented it, uh, invested in Stuart Donald's Madrox company for the time being. They don't have any shares to show for that. But despite all of that, they've put an eight-figure sum into the club. 
there is still interest there. You know, like say they the looked at other clubs, they looked at Newcastle United, they looked at Chelsea, I know they looked at Watford, and there was a few others they looked at for various reasons. They walked away with Sunderland. Whatever's happened that has reduced the impact of what this investment is right now. They are still there. They've put money in. They still obviously believe that something is worthwhile going forward investing in Sunderland. And yeah, that, that eight-figure sum can go towards some very important things for the club. Mm-hmm. Now, I was at a talk in, um, in Town End on the Friday night of just last week with Charlie Methven and Kevin Ball. And one of the things that Charlie said in the, in the sort of opening exchanges of that discussion with regards to the investment, is that when you look at a club like Sunderland and you look at all of the big clubs in English football, we are one of the few big clubs, to use that term as a sort of like a metric, we're one of the few big clubs that has yet to have substantial investment of the type that, say, Man City and Man United and, you know, teams of the like have. We're one of the few that hasn't. So is it perhaps to to see a club like Sunderland in League One, you know, a club of that sheer potential... Is is that what you know the, the the investors see when they when they look at Sunderland? If you look at clubs in and around the football league, there's only really us and Leeds that I think have that sort of that that real like ceiling to be shattered, so to speak. Is it the case that we are out of all those teams the the, the biggest one for potential? Yeah, absolutely. I think as I mentioned, they did look at other Premier League clubs. Um, they've been looking at like a few English clubs, you know, they looked at uh, Watford and felt that if they went into Watford, they would potentially need to uh, build a new stadium. Same with Chelsea. If they went to Chelsea, they would probably have to build a new stadium. Newcastle United, Mike Ashley wants a very big price for that, but also their academy is in their training facilities are in dire need of a, a big revamp there. So that would have cost a lot of money on top of the price they would have had to buy. Sunderland, you've got the stadium alight. There's potential to expand that if you need to in the future. There's the Academy of Light, the facilities at the Academy of Light are absolutely top-notch. And because Sunderland are in League One, Stuart Donald and Charlie Methon and co have come in, they've sorted out the club to make it more sustainable financially. And and because it's a League One club, it's available for a much lower price. So, yeah, it's just, it makes a lot of sense from an investment point of view. Mm -hmm. May it be the case that the main obstacles sort of preventing Sunderland from receiving an investor prior to... Um, Donald Methvin and Co. sort of taking over was the issue before that while the facilities were very good, um, the club because it was run quite inefficiently, you know, to 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 say to say little else, was that a problem? Was it the case of perhaps the buying out by putting money into the club for transfer funds is just the tip of a very sort of like financially detrimental iceberg? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you looked at Sunderland and, and Stuart Donald and Charlie Methon have spoken a lot about it since uh, since they've come. You know, the club had, of course, crippling debts, uh, massive bank loans, and but not just that. It was the kind of the expenditure that the club had on things that really they didn't need to be spending on. One of the the famous examples is the plant pots at the stadium alight, which I think was it two million pound a year or something like that. It was costing the club, okay. and uh, and there was just little things like that where because of the kind of lack of of care that was going into the club under Ella Short's uh, ownership these things were just going through and the club were just spending needless money on needless things and yes it, it, it took a lot of cuts you know redundancies and things like that had to come and uh, you mentioned the talking that Charlie Methon did on Friday night I was there myself and you know he, he spoke about how he, he, he nobody likes to make them cuts and that's an, it's not a part of 
something that people enjoy doing when they go into a new business, making the cuts. But they've done them cuts now. Sunderland are in a much more financially stable position now. And now rather than looking to make cuts, they can start looking the other way now on where they're going to spend money and how they're going to improve the club. Mm-hmm. What do you think, like maybe to sort of continue expanding on that point, I'll go to you now, Sam. What do you think the positive implications are for the club now now that that money has come in as we've said there it's an eight figure sum it's been injected directly into the club we now have said money at the club at the, the club now has said money at its disposal you know to my understanding as, as far as i'm aware what are the, what are now the the positive implications we're, we're sort of we're finished with cutting back now in you know you would hope yeah. sort of cuts have been made for the greater good what is the greater good now I think one of the main things for me is just the fact that we've had confirmation. Do you know we're not we're not in the dark anymore? And we had fans saying, "Oh, they're not interested." The Ubin and Aaron, but like Craig said, the fact that they've put the money in without being a takeover, takeover or whatever, it shows the intent and it shows the the interested. Um, so I think that's the main thing for me, especially when, like you say, they were looking at um, Premier League clubs and all sorts. And it was like you said, Alex. I think. They do see, you'd be daft not to see a team like Sunderland in League One. And if you had the money to think, I could, we could turn that club around, it would be the heroes, whatever. And I think that's the main thing for me. It just it shows that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that he's getting better. And the fans who doubted Stuart and Charlie should be thinking now that they're in the wrong, really. Mm-hmm. Well, Stuart and Charlie are football men. That's if there's, if, yeah. there's, if there's two things that can be said about them, they are both football men. They are both lifelong fans of Oxford United. They've you know they they they've been in this game you know a long time albeit prior to Sunderland at a lower level but they've they've been in sort of business management on on the business management side of football a very long time and they've obviously overseen a lot of a lot of changes a lot of positive ones at Eastleigh so to have those two I would say in charge the only thing that was la- lacking significantly to maybe get us on the magic carpet ride that we've all pined for for you know for, for years upon years would be a substantial investment you know it, it was no secret that when they when they first took over that you know the the Ellis Short's billions were, were, were no longer a commodity the club could just chuck around haphazardly you know we we had to play it we had to play it safe we had to play it smart we had to do some necessary evils like cutting back but as we've said there it's it's for now you know it, it's to allow us to sort of see the sunnier pastures of yeah. what we have now. Now, obviously, Mickey Dell and Co. Um, they won't be football men, and that's that's something that I think again isn't much of a secret that they aren't they aren't people who are lifelong fans of English football clubs like Donald and Methven are. But the fact of the matter is that with the investment in the hands of football men, what we have is we have the answer to the problem we were initially faced with when we saw the appointment of Donald and Methven. Well, not their appointment, the the the, the taking over of Donald and Methven. With Ellis Short, you had. Uh, you had basically um, a billionaire who had the best intentions but wasn't a football man. What we have now are two men who are football men with money of a similar ilk at this level, relatively speaking, at their disposal. So if I go back to you here, Craig, can that only be a good thing? Yeah, of course it can. I think you're exactly right, uh, Donald and Methanor, football men. I mean, I think, as you rightly mentioned, it was a, it's a different scale that they've previously been used to, to Sunderland, and have they made mistakes since they've been here? Of course they've made mistakes, and I'm sure they'd be... Uh, they'd be man enough to stand up and admit that they've made some mistakes um, because of the size of Sunderland in comparison to the clubs that they've uh, they've previously been in charge of. But that said, they are football people. Um, 
they have the right people around them as well. Um, and I think they genuinely do have the best interests of the club going forward. And, and like you rightfully see it with, uh, with money being trusted to them, it should be in better care than what it was in the previous regime where, as you rightly said, Ella Short kind of trusted the wrong people mm -hmm. at the at the top of the club, and uh, and money was thrown about quite haphazardly. Yeah, obviously, what like we had people like well, we see, we had people like we had Ella Short employing people like Martin Bain, giving Martin Bain full control to sort of oversee everything, and you know, uh, thanks to Netflix, the whole world can see that the rest was history because we we are where we are as a consequence of of you know you would say cumulative ne neglect and sort of. You know, if we're being dramatic, you would call it gross negligence because a lot of things that went on um, in, the, in the prior regime were, were just sort of, you know, beyond unacceptable, really. But uh, I suppose that, that that's a story that was then and, you know, we can now focus on now, which thanks to thanks to what's happened this week is looking an awful lot better. So I think we'll now move on to the South End game. So just as a quick summary for those who haven't seen it or weren't there to watch it or listen. Um, you didn't miss too much, really, for being perfectly honest. Uh, Sunderland won 1-0, but the game wasn't a very glamorous one. Uh, we scored a lovely goal, thanks to a Denver Hume cross, which Luke 9 superbly, with a diving header, knocked into the bottom right corner to make it 1-0. But despite Sunderland keeping the pressure on, and despite Southend being, a, a, you know, to, to, to put it quite mildly, a poor team, um, the, the game stayed 1-0. Uh, there, there were no more goals to be seen, and all of Sunderland's attacks... Um, broke down with the final ball quite frustratingly but regardless a win's a win three points is three points and they all count it's worth as much as Doncaster's 7-1 route of them so let's have the three word review from the good people of Twitter to summarise this game and then we'll have a little chat about it so Graham says Dobson's lovely hair John Stacey says McGeady shocking again Bomber says 09 Ballon d'Or Janie M says Luke Luke 09 Mark Mason says fell into coma Mrs. Thubbs says it wasn't pretty. Anne Caldwell says job done, just. Jake Collinson says a drab win. Steve N says consecutive diving headers. And John Ralph says not promotion candidates. So I'll start with you, Sam, for this one. Just what were your thoughts on the South End game? Coming away from it, how do you feel about it? Well, there's the there's the two ways to look at it. There's, there's obviously, like you said, a win's a win, and you never. We'll never ever gonna I don't care what league we'll turn turn our losers up as a win a win, do you know what I mean? It's three points on the board, like you say. You look back at the end of the season, it's the same as if we'd beat them four 0 I know obviously goal difference is different, but but then there's the other side where you, you they are generally they were one of the worst teams I've I've seen at the stadium. And I think I think we should have we should have beat them by more goals. And it just sends a bit of a statement like like what happened against Tranmere, everyone was buzzing. Do you know what I mean? And I think Looking back, it, it should have been more, but like you say, a win's a win, so you, you walk away from it with three points and another clean sheet at home, that's two, in a road to Parkinson, which is obviously a, a plus, so it's it's three points and you move on to the next game, really, yeah. at the end of the day. Well, I am going to play devil's advocate with you there, Sam, because despite winning the game, I wasn't entirely satisfied being the cynic that I am. Yeah. Now, OK, you won 1-0, one right? You, you won, you've got three points. As I've said there, they're worth the same as when Doncaster beat them 7-1, it's worth three points, just like when Leicester beat Southampton 9-0. It's all worth the same. But regardless, um, I'm worried because despite how much pressure we put on them, despite all of the forward runs and forward passes that we saw from, from Parkinson Sunderland yesterday, 
we could only manage one goal past them despite all of that pressure and despite just how bad they were because let's face it they were a, they were a terrible team like they yeah, they they, they they barely they barely looked they, they, they didn't even look that bothered to me i just, i just think they were, they were sloppy in possession they couldn't string passes together when they got forward they were toothless you know that that game was there for the taking you could have put me in charge and i would have won you that game and I feel like I might have won you more than one nil because I, I just I just reckon given how much we've got at our disposal there with that team, we should be beating South End more than one nil. So I'll go to you now, Craig. Is that a concern that that we're only putting one goal past such a poor team given how attacking our players? Yeah, I think definitely. I think uh, the invention in particular in the final third, the creativity is a real issue. We mentioned a little earlier that uh, they're a little light on forwards at the minute. Wingers, uh, wingers not. Uh, readily available as you might want and um the as i say the the invention the creativity in the final third just isn't quite there at the moment there were, not just that there was actually yesterday quite rare that there was a lot of good crosses i thought went into the box um south end's uh, defense played they played a three at the back with the two wing backs and that allowed for sunland's two wing backs denver hume and conor mclaughlin to get forward quite often during the game and I thought the pair of them put in some very good crosses into the box the issue is you've you've only really got Will Grigg in there and uh, his natural game isn't really to be if you like the target man striker he's he's very good Will Grigg in his career previously before Sunderland are kind of making runs in the box running across the defender to the front post or getting in at the back post and he, he, if you looked at his actual um, statistics in, pre, in his career prior to Sunderland you'd see that he actually scored a lot of headed goals but it was all based on you know what his movement and getting ahead of defenders and things like that now the issue is if the ball's going in and not finding Will Grigg well then there needs to be somebody else there so if Will Griggs made it in the movement of the front post if it goes over Will Griggs head who's at the back post mm -hmm. Sunderland just didn't really have that yesterday and uh, the ball never seemed to find Will Grigg in the box but there was never anybody else around him where where they were found from the crosses either and I think uh, in fairness to South End we see how bad they were and the were there wasn't a lot of intent from them and you're right they were pretty sloppy in possession I think uh, you mentioned the defeat uh, to Doncaster and things like that but of course now Sol Campbell's come in and he's had a bit of time to work with that defence I mean there were times yesterday where Sol Campbell was pretty much playing in defence himself he was uh, he was so involved in the play he was half on the pitch and he was his in intention and his fork was solely on their back uh, their back line and he was constantly shouting instructions constantly organizing their defense and i think in fairness to them they were quite good defensively the uh they didn't open up they didn't leave too many gaps for sunland uh, and that's when sunland's invention comes into it it's the onus is on them to break south end down and and they didn't really create many clear-cut chances after the goal I, mean, I tweeted after it went one nil and said this could be like they've got that early goal that's always important this could be like tram now because south end will need to change their game and, and go after the game a bit more but actually they didn't they just seemed intent to kind of keep the scoreline down and i guess if you're looking at it from South South End's perspective, um, they're kind of taking small baby steps under Saul Campbell. So to them yesterday, coming to the Sunderland, coming to the Stadium of Light, and only losing one nil, bearing in mind you know before the game they had the worst defence in the league. Mm -hmm. You know that's a that's a that's a positive for them to take yeah. from that. It's, it's small baby steps that they're making, so they're growing confidence from the fact that they restricted Sunderland to mm -hmm. very few clear cut chances. Oh, un undoubtedly they'll be happy with that. I think you know given how bad recent results have gone for them just how sort of humiliating some score lines have been 
to 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 come to the stadium alight, which let's face it, uh, we've said it before, but it's it's true nonetheless. It's it's like a, it's like a cup final for the average League One away contingent. You know, it's a forty nine thousand seat stadium. You've come here. You've only lost one nil. You, you've given you know as far as a defensive performance goes, a good account of yourself. Um, I don't rate them much elsewhere, but I think you're right. I think Saul Campbell has had a bit of time, and they were they were quite well organised. But what I will say again, and it's the cynic in me talking, but I just think that because we only have the one striker, and because a lot of our attacks were very samey, and there wasn't much variation, that we were quite predictable. So that while the South End, I think, did defend resiliently against what we had to offer, I think once they got used to one kind of attack, they were more or less used to all of them. More or less every attack in the first half was a sequence of um, someone gets the ball to Hume. Hume makes a good run, and I'll get on to him later because I thought he was brilliant regardless of this. Um, he, he makes a good run. Um, McGeady's on the overlap. He squares it to McGeady. McGeady does that thing where like he faints and then runs to the byline then swings it in, or he knocks it back to Hume, and then one of them will swing it into the path of Grigg. But, of course, Grigg's then surrounded by three centre-backs who were all about six foot three or above. So, you know, ultimately... If if that is what we are offering up to a team when we're going on the offensive, they're not going to have much bother defending against us. And indeed, the only time that we did score in that game was thanks to a very good, a very very good cross and a very very good header from Luke O'Nine. Had that little shot of quality been missing from that game, it could have easily have been nil nil. And if we were talking about a nil nil now, I'd be fuming because there is no way you should be drawing at home to a team where you're so much better than them like that. But it did just take a very good piece of play to win you the game. But those are rare in League One because that was a very good goal and a very good cross. And we, we don't we don't really have that normally. I don't know what what do you make of our sort of creativity, Sam? Like, what is it that we need in that team? If it's a new striker, is it a new approach? What what is it that we're just needing just to make sure that those one nil wins just become a bit more um, satisfying for us with maybe a two nil or a three nil instead? Well, I do, I do understand the negativity around Grigg because I know he looks lethargic. It's not working for him. He doesn't look, and he probably is, but he doesn't look too bothered on the pitch. But there was a few times yesterday where I saw him get the ball on the edge of the box and he would pop it off to see O'Neill or Maguire. And he does make, as soon as he's popped it off, he, he spins around the corner and he makes a slightly intelligent run. But we'll never seem to give it straight back to him or something. We always seem to, because it's working out wide, we'll get the ball around the box, right? Who's free on the wing? Is it? Hume is it McGeady is it McLaughlin and I just think he looks he looks frustrated because he he does he does I do watch him he does make them good runs that he must have been making for Wiggle and they're just popping off to him and it should take someone like Max Power to say look he's I've worked with him before he's making the runs just giving into him because that's like Craig said that's his game one two touches in the box goal it's not running on to a cross whipped in it's not holding up the ball is it we're not playing to his strengths and I don't know if that's the tactics or Greg because it's under two managers now so you've got mm-hmm. to question him as well but I think uh, someone said yesterday it would have been I know he's not the most talented but the crosses we were put in yesterday it would have been a great game for someone like Charlie White just bulldozing his way in the box really so we're unlucky on that side that he wasn't playing but you've got to play it in the strengths of the players you've got on the pitch really I was actually going to say after that that um, uh, one thing I was saying um, at the game yesterday to my dad that when I was watching those crosses, I was like, you know what? I think if you had someone of Charlie White sort of yeah. like style of play and stature, then you you could. I think I think those crosses were sort of like, um, sort of you 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 might say were were instructed by Parkinson for a target man in mind, not for 
not for Will Grigg, who's a lot more of like your poacher, a lot more yeah. of your, your sort of like, you know, like your man spearheading the attacks when the ball's coming along the ground. But a, a, again, I'm not convinced by Charlie White though either. And like I, like I say, I, I know I'm sort of like on like a rampage of just like negativity here, just like saying time and time again. But like, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I you know, if Charlie White, say hypothetically, was to come back into the fold and let's say he wasn't despite the style of play to, to keep scoring. I, I would I would love him to and I really want him to, but let's say that he didn't. What would be the what would be the solution then? Would we have to maybe change the number of strikers on the pitch? Would we have to um would we have to go and buy in January? What do you think, Craig? What would yeah. you think would be the best approach? I mean it would it would be excellent to go out and buy in January, but of course January is a difficult window mm-hmm. to to make moves in anyway and uh as Sunderland found last January when Josh Madger went getting in a striker in January isn't easy and you're not going to be able to do it on the cheap. Um, I think there is more than capable players there. You know, you mentioned like with the crosses yesterday, there was a couple I can think of where Will Grigg, like maybe the gla- head has glanced off the top of his head. They were just slightly. So it comes down to if uh, if Charlie White was in there, it wouldn't necessarily be an issue of of quality. It would just be completely physical attributes he's just he's just that little bit bigger than Griggs so instead of glancing off the top of Mike's head there would have been meeting his forehead dead on and uh, and then it would have come down to his quality and whether he had the ability to to, to turn that header into, into the back of the net or certainly at least on target and test the goalkeeper and I think we've mentioned that invention and that creativity you know like yes uh, I mean yesterday they did exploit the wings a lot because of Southend's system the full backs could bomb on a lot because Southend played that five at the back with the two wing backs there was no wingers so that allowed Sunderland's two wing backs or full backs to to get forward a lot and that's why that's where a lot of the space was in the game um but yeah, I think you just have to mix it up slightly a bit. I think that was Sunderland's issue yesterday, as you rightfully said. Like you could kind of uh, write the script of just about every Sunderland attack, and it was down the wing, swing the ball in, and they just didn't quite mix things up enough. I think uh, because he's just coming back from a virus, which is why he didn't start. But having someone like a Duncan Watmore yesterday would have been really helpful because uh, I'd maybe even would have been a case for Mark McNulty to have started because they just do something different. They don't mind getting on the ball. They can maybe come inside a bit more. We saw in the Tramier game the way Will Grigg and Duncan Watmore linked up well with each other because uh, Duncan Watmore doesn't mind coming inside. And his goal against Tramier, he gave the ball to Grigg. Grigg then squared it back with a reverse pass to Watmore who'd made that intelligent run in behind the defence. And it's just mixing your play up a yeah. bit like that and it makes it unpredictable. I think one of the big successes Sunderland did have against Southend was on that left wing with McGeady and Hume where they did now and then mix things up so every now and then they would play the pass with each other with each other one two get down the wing and put the ball in but every now and then McGeady would fake the pass and come inside now you're still only having a long range shot when you do that but you're mixing things up and it just caused Southend's one or two problems when they did do that they just probably didn't do it enough on the day. It's just the variation, I think. I think while the attacks that they do coordinate, I think they do very well. I think our passing game under Parkinson's been excellent. I mean, as we as we get on in games, as as we start to tire from you know continued attacks, we do look a bit more lethargic. But um, I'm prepared to I'm I'm prepared to be okay with that if you're spending most of the game on the offensive, you know, like just like just grafting your boots off for the sake of getting as many goals as you can, because that's what we all want to see. I think the passing game is very, very good for the most part. I, I really do. But if there's just a bit more variation, then it 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 counts more. You know, if if the other team, if you can pass the ball well and keep the other team guessing, then 
then you know you you really that that's that's the kind of setup and system and quality that promotion winning teams are made of because those are the teams that can that can you know blow apart others when they need to and i think i think you're right craig i think that that just like that that, that just changing it up to to put it bluntly is what we missed so it's what we missed yesterday but let's get on now to topics that are um, completely in essence positive ones because i've you know like i've i've, I've made you all talk about uh, will griggs and charlie white and whoever's shortcomings enough Let's start with Duncan Watmore, and we'll sort of we'll work back from the players who came off the bench to the ones who started. So we'll start with Watmore. When he came on, he looked like a revelation to me. He looked really, really good. How good did you think he was, Sam? It was, I think, like Craig said, it was it was unlucky that he couldn't start the game because he does offer that something different where he can run to the byline, swing it in, or he can just go so direct. I think there was a run where he beat about three or four players. He had a shot on his left foot that wasn't didn't look too far away. I know the keeper didn't move, so I might have to watch that back. But that's what it's all about variation, like you said. Because um, South End look quite content with, right? They've got space out wide, but we're just going to attack the ball and head it out. Whereas what more came on, and it looked like they were expecting him to do what McGeady and Hume were doing. He just he just ran at them, which we we haven't got many players who do that. I know Gooch is quite direct, but what more in terms of just running? towards the goal is is going to be a defender's nightmare in League One because they're not used to that. They're used to just heading balls out out, out the box all the time like what Southend were doing. So I think a big positive in the last few weeks is what more because whether it's starting or coming off the bench, he is offering something different and he is helping us in games. So that's great to see as well for him on a personal level because he's been through all sorts in the past couple of years. So it's, it's great to see him be back in amongst it, he looks he looks fit, doesn't he? So he does. Great yeah. to see. I think he offers as well. I mean, on on the topic of keeping opposition guessing, he offers two different avenues when you go on forward. As as you said there, Sam, when he does get forward, like he, he took on about four men and had a shot, and albeit the shot missed, but you know that that's that's just what you know that's just what we want to see. You know, it get, it gets bums off seats, and it it's like it, it, for an opposition, it'd be a nightmare because you don't know what's coming next. But as well as that, um, there were a few times when he, he had balls over the top that he chased down into the box and his first touch was phenomenal. And he, and he did well to recover balls that a lot of wingers in this division would 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 um, either miss or or would let go. But he managed to bring them back and recover play. And then from there, he's in a good position to to get the ball to someone who's in a goal-scoring position. So I think on, on two different fronts, uh, what more you know, could provide two different, yeah, two different sources. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, I think exactly right. I think uh, Sam touched on some good points there, the, how direct he is. He obviously has a lot of pace. I mean, he had them two bad injuries and you kind of worry that they might affect that. But as he's getting more match sharp, it looks like that hasn't been affected at all. It's still there. And as you see, he is getting more sharp. He's getting a little run of games since Parkinson come in. And so his touch is improving. His confidence in the, on the pitch is improving because it, it must really affect you when he was coming back as he was after the two bad injuries. And then in the last year, 12 18 months he's been free of the knee injury because his legs weren't used to playing at that high competitive level he was just constantly picking up these little frustrating muscle injuries and he had a little run in the team at the end of last season and then of course had the bad tackle at Wickham mm. having just scored a late equaliser as well from that ultimate height and then knowing you're out for the rest of the season again like it, it must really affect your confidence and uh 
to see Duncan now getting a, a little run of games, getting that little bit of match sharpness back, you can see, as I say, the confidence in his own body as well. Uh, it's a real positive because Sunderland don't have a lot of pace in that forward line and they don't have many players who are as direct as he is. So when we talk about invention and we talk about doing something different, what more offers that? What about, Speaking of pace then, what about Denver Hume? Because he played very well as well, I thought. Yeah, well, I thought yesterday what Sunderland needed was players like that because uh, there was times where Denver Hume was there uh, getting the ball, dribbling, and I think he's uh, he's close close ball control when it's at his feet at times. It's absolutely exceptional. I mean, I've been critical at times of Hume for his uh, positional sense in defending and, and often his crosses has been quite poor as well. Not the case yesterday, but in, in the past, the Shrewsbury in particular, I thought he was quite wa- wasteful with crosses, but, uh, but certainly dribbling. I've never had any issue with his dribbling at all. As when he gets the ball at his feet, he, he, he glides down that left wing and he, he's really tidy. I think we mentioned the Watmore one, but there was one with there uh, with Hume in the second half as well, where he kind of went on a little run, somehow ended up in the box, and uh, his shot was just deflected behind for a corner. But uh, his south end, we've mentioned the crosses, they had the big lads at the back who were just happy to attack and head out any ball that came in the box. What they looked frightened of was players like Watmore, players like Hume, who ran at them and looked to take them on. They weren't comfortable at that, and just the issue for Sunderland was is they didn't have many players who could do that. But yeah, Hume was brilliant yesterday. I think it was probably his, I would say his best game for Sunderland. Mm-hmm. I think every time, I mean, it it will ultimately help you when you are playing against a team that's low on confidence and low on quality, which Southend had both in abundance. But when you're playing in a game like that, I think for Hume's confidence, it must be great because he has an opportunity there playing against a weaker side in this league to take players on and you know did he not like I think he saw the chance when he was sort of breaking through either going down the wing or cutting inside into like the middle of the park but when when he did um, he just he looked so promising I don't really think he gave the ball away once no, he, he was really strong yesterday and as as you rightly say, that confidence grows throughout the game because you can see Southend offer very little uh, and the one big thing about the way Phil Parkinson sets this team up is to allow the fullbacks to go forward because you have George Dobson and Max Power doing very important positions in the team so they might often sit quite deep uh, midfield. The, the full-backs bomb forward, but then you've always got Max Power or George Dobson who can drop in and cover if you are found a little far forward and you give the ball away. But see, yesterday, that wasn't really too much of an issue because Southend didn't have much intent when it came to going forward. But uh, but certainly, there's a lot of confidence growing in Hume. You can see he's getting better every game. And uh, we spoke to him after the game yesterday, actually. He was talking about how Parkinson's organising things on the training pitches and every player's going out now with a clear understanding of exactly what their role is. And was that and not there before? He, he didn't see it, but it, it he was kind it implied? of hinted, Yeah, it was implied that that was the case. And now he's got that kind of freedom to, to excel in what he enjoys doing, which is going forward mm-hmm. because he knows that there are them two central midfielders there who can drop in and cover. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's now got a lot more leeway to be like an out and out wing back, so to speak, rather mm-hmm. than maybe being somewhere between a wing back and a full back, depending on the formation or the context of the game, he now has a set role. And and would you say that just based on, based on the game like yesterday, if let's say he's a wing back every game this season, you know, will he only improve? Yeah, I think so because I think that's definitely his strength is going forward. He mentioned when he was younger, he used to play left wing. That was more his position, and then just in recent years, he's kind of dropped back to being a fullback. Uh, so he appreciates he has, you know, plenty to improve on, particularly defensively. 
Um, but he's doing that and he's growing game by game. I know we've spoke, uh, people, plenty of people have spoken in the past about whether he and Aidan McGeady can play together because Aidan McGeady perhaps leaves him a bit uh, vulnerable at the back at times. And, you know, we might say that more against better opposition who have a bit more intent than what Southend did. Uh, but as I say, because now those important roles like the two central midfielders are, are playing, uh, it just gives Hume that bit more freedom to do what he does best and that's going mm. forward. Brilliant, brilliant. So we'll take a very quick break here from the match discourse because we have yet another competition. This week, our mate David Wright offered our followers a Red and White Legends 2012 caric- caricature. Is that how you say that word? I don't know how you say that word. Is it caricature? Caric- caricature, yeah. Caricature, so. yeah. Well, basically, David Wright offered our friends um, a Red and White Legends 20, 2020 character calendar. And we are in a charitable mood, as always. So we are giving away three of them. So if your handles are any of the following handles for Twitter, Instagram, or whatever it may be, then you are one of the three lucky people. So first of all, we have an Instagram follower by the handle of CallumMac93. One is a Twitter follower, TommyBoyd97, and one is for a Facebook follower by the name of Linda Roberts. So if you're one of those people, please DM The Roper Report on either Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you know, whichever one's corresponding best to you. Um, Give us the contact details, and we will get that to you as soon as we can. You have until 6pm on Friday, as always, or Tom Albrighton will will eat your calendar, because that's what he does. If you don't claim your prize, we'll feed them to him, and he, uh, he takes them. That's what happens. He's normally here in the studio with us, but uh, if he listens to this back, then he'll he'll know that I've kept that kept that joke going. Anyway, we're going to move on now to some questions from the listeners. So, re- relating to yesterday's game, we had we asked on Twitter yesterday for if anyone had any questions that we could answer today about anything to do with the South End game or beyond. So the first one comes from Ryan Pullman. I was going to mention Luke O9 in the previous conversation there about who played well, but I figured I'll leave it and let Ryan start with this question, which is Luke O9, future Sunderland captain. That's all the question is. What's the answer, Sam? I could I could say that, yeah. Um, I know obviously he's only young and he, he, he sometimes uh, comes across a bit younger than he actually is with his enthusiasm and everything, but just everything about him off the pitch is, is spot on. I mean, I watch these... Um, you know, the behind the scenes videos that the clubs do, and even when he's walking down the steps, he goes and shakes everyone's hand. He looks he looks dead happy to be there all the time, which is exactly what you want when you you love the club as much as we do. You want to see someone who shares that with you. And he, he, he's always uh, training hard. And you see him sometimes on the pitch with kids after. He's he's just great. And he, he also, he's got ability as well. I mean, he's, he's improved massively since when we first signed him. It, it probably is confidence, but... He's, he can play in a number of roles now. I mean, with Ava, so I think I know Colin McLaughlin played quite well yesterday, but I still think O'Lyne's the best right back in the club uh, to date. Um, he's great in centre midfield. He can play in the number ten. He can even play out wide. And he never, he never seems to. If he gets put out wide, for example, say you would never imagine him to be in a huff about it or anything. He's just happy to be on the pitch. And I think he, he just. He's he's he sort of he looks like he's living the dream of every fan really, which is exactly what you want. It's it's great to see. Like we've been through years of having the likes of Dilla Bodji and Cole and and Dong and Yanazai. Oh, the list goes on, which is depressing. But talking about one line, it's just what we've wanted to see for years, and it's it's great to finally have it. And I could I could see him being a captain the early years to come. Yeah. What do you think, Craig? 
Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, there's there's more characteristics to being a captain than just what you produce on the pitch. So, because dependent on how he is behind the scenes and on the training pitches would depend on whether he's a good captain. But I think one of the things certainly Jack Ross wanted to do in his recruitment in the summer and what he tasked the scouts with doing was kind of signing a lot of leaders. And you saw in Sunderland's recruitment, uh, nearly every player they signed had previously been a captain at other clubs. And uh, and that's something Jack Ross wanted to build in his Sunderland squad was characteristics and mentality of being leaders on the pitch. And Luke O'Nine certainly is one of them. I think he is the epitome of uh, of the club's recruitment at this level, where it should have been. It, it wasn't always right that first summer that Luke came in. You know, they didn't get everything right recruitment-wise, but it was all very rushed. We know the squad was, was threadbare that summer and they needed to just put a squad together essentially for League One um, but you know Luke O'Nine is the epitome of where when Sunderland are in League One and even when they go up to the Championship the kind of player they should be looking at you know, he was at a good age where there's still a lot of potential to develop into a better player there's there's nothing saying that in a few years Luke O'Nine can't keep developing and become a very good Championship player maybe even a Premier League player who knows that could look optimistic now, but you don't know how much he could develop in the future. Not just that, but because of where he was prior to that, he came to Sunderland knowing that this was a huge opportunity for him. And and as Sam rightly said, he just looks like he absolutely loves every minute of of what he does at the club, not just on the pitch, but all of it, the the support he gets from the fans and everything like that. So to me, a player like Luke Ryan is the epitome of, of where Sunderland's recruitment should be at. Paul O'Brien asks, 15 games gone, do you think promotion is still a realistic target, whether it be automatic or via the playoffs? Back to you, Sam. Yeah, I do. I mean, even like we've said, you look the games under Partlesell, we've improved massively, in my opinion. So I think you always want to be optimistic. I'll say we're going to win the league or whatever, but at the very least, it, um, based on form at the minute, it's looking like playoffs, isn't it? And then you never know if you get, say, if. Uh, uh, fourth or fifth around Christmas when all the games are coming in why can't you kick on and win the league or get second I mean you look at Luton last year they started pretty poorly and then they went on a crazy run and then once they were up there they never looked back so anything could happen really but I think at the very least you've got to think playoffs really mm-hmm. The season's definitely not one in 15 games no. but obviously you know naturally we can't be extremely optimistic and you know totally have our hearts and minds set on getting first or second when you're currently sat seventh in the league after 15 games but as you see there um Luton got off to a fairly slow start last season and it wasn't until the the, the turn of the, of the new year yeah. that started really like rapidly climb up the division with by giving Parkinson just that bit more time maybe even giving a bit more time to recruit more to his to his tastes in the in the January window, you know, is there reason to assume that we could get like one of those ridiculous runs together? That we could like, is there in his style of playing our team reason to assume that we can do what Luton did? Well, there's no there's no reason to think otherwise. Really, I mean, he's improved us massively with just tactics. He hasn't got his own players or anyone really. So, like you say, if I know, like Craig touched on earlier, January is a tough window because people don't want to let people go halfway through a season so you either get someone you don't want or pay premium prices really but even if he gets one or two players in that he, he may maybe worked with in the past or he knows or his type of player with the improvements he's made already we could quite easily kick on and go on a 
even if you win like five games in a row, we did that under Ross. Do you know what I mean? You do something like that, you get it's it's all about confidence, really. You get the confidence flowing and the performances like we have, and the results will come. So it's it's definitely not over yet. It's not it's not even close to being over. But you you do also have to be realistic. But it's it's looking like playoffs. But easily you could be up there near the end of the season. I think December and January are interesting months because you've got typically a lot of games, a lot of travelling usually. So if you come out come out into February being up there, there's no reason why you can't kick on towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Well, on a similar note to looking ahead to say January, February, we've got a question from we've got, we've got a question from Ben Reeves who asks that January's only round the corner. What business, if any, do you think we need to do? So we'll go straight back to you, Sam, and then we'll go to you, Craig, but we'll start with you, Sam. Um, it's hard really because I do genuinely think the business we did under Ross in the summer was was quite good like Craig said leaders you look at Dobson Willis they've looked great Lynch has looked good as well um, sort of the obvious one maybe is a striker but who we're going to get you know what I mean who's going to let their main goal scorer go in January and do I have the money as well I know with the investment and in that but it's hard because we do have three strikers at the minute who they all do different jobs well, but they all have flaws in the game as well. So if we can get even one of them firing or two scoring a few goals would be all right. So depends really if if Parkinson will know better than anyone if um out of the three of them, McNulty, White or Greg, if they're good enough, then he's fine. But he'll know if we need to get a new striker in. So maybe striker and maybe a backup winger, like Craig said, because we've got... We've got injuries, you look at Gooch, you look at what more is always going to be touch and go, isn't he? McGeady's of an age where he could pick up a knock. Um, so maybe a winger, just a bit of pace and direct, like we had someone like Lewis Morgan last year, who was always in and around the team. I know he might not have played that well, but he was always a decent player to come off the bench or start a game if someone was injured. So maybe improving in that department. What are you thinking, Craig? Yeah, I think realistically in January, we're not going to see the club go out and spend a lot of money. That's not what this investment is about in the club. You know, there's things like in the academy and the infrastructure of the club that's going to be improved with the investment money. It should allow for a bit of movement in the transfer window, but not huge amounts. We've got to remember in League One that, of course, it's the... uh, the wage, the SCMP, I think it's called salary cap, Mm management protocol uh, which of course Sunderland have to be wary of so of course they have the uh, Premier League parachute payments still coming in this season so they are allowed to be uh, a bit more than where the wage is currently but of course they end this season so next season if Sunderland is still in League One they can't allow the wage budget to exceed what it currently is and so the EFL would kind of be looking very strictly upon Sunderland suddenly just splurging a lot of money in the January transfer window because uh, they look very long-term now after what happened at Bolton at Bury and Bury at the AFL. It's not just a case of, oh, well, okay, it's within the protocol at the moment because of your parachute payment, so it's fine, do that. They would ask, well, how do you sustain that in the long term? If you're bringing this player in and say giving him a three-year contract, how do you continue to play that? contract for the full three years so I don't think we should expect Sunderland to make any huge splurges in January because of this investment I think uh, what they do do in January will be could be quite very important to the season um, a couple of shrewd signings I think would uh, would be really good whether he looks at a striker or not I'm not sure again like you see I think you spot on Sam it'll be Partinson himself or no whether he fancies the three strikers that are currently there 
and that'll maybe decide whether he does look for another striker or not. But for me, I think a winger with a bit of pace is, is key for Sunderland. Uh, anything you get from Watmore, I'd love to see the kids stay fit and have a good long run in the team. But anything you get from him should be a bonus, really. And then beyond Watmore, you've got McGeady. Maguire's not a natural winger, but he can play on the wing. And then Gooch as well. And, and they're your only options as, as wingers. When you're playing now this 4-2-3-1 system, you need a lot of forward players and something, as I say, a bit different because uh, Sunderland need to uh, change things up in the final third. So I think uh, an attacking kind of winger, number 10 player, would be my kind of priority for January. I think the obvious choice, everyone would uh, I'll mention the name Marcus Madison. I think he'd be Keats. And I think Sunderland would be competing up where Ipswich are if Marcus Madison was in that team. Now, I can understand why in the summer Sunderland didn't go for Marcus Madison. I think his uh, release clause at Peterborough is around 2.5, 2.6 million. Uh, so if you consider that, plus, say, for example, the PM £500,000 for the year, the value of that transfer would be £3 million in the summer. Now, no offence to Marcus Madison, but he's not worth £3 million when he's only got a year left on his Peterborough contract. What happens in January will be interesting. Will will Peterborough get itchy feet and think, oh, we don't want to lose him on a free transfer and dramatically lower that asking price? Sunderland will keep an eye on that. I know they will. And if Peterborough do lower that asking price, perhaps they will be tempted to make a cash bid. But if not, I, I know for certain that if he goes for free next summer, Sunderland will be looking to, to kind of get in on that race and I'm sure there'll be plenty of competition but the value of that transfer will be a lot more lucrative for Sunderland if they're not paying a transfer fee for Marcus Madison and then see he might ask for a little bit that's the way it works they, they run the contracts down these players and then they can ask for a little bit extra on the wages it's what Jordan Willis did this summer at Coventry um, so say they have to pay him a little bit extra in wages and say for example they pay him instead of £500,000 a year £650,000 a year well that's still the value of that transfer for a year is £650,000 to Sunderland rather than £3 million. And whatever Marcus Madison is then worth, he's worth £2.5 million, where you've got an asset at your club there where you're essentially in profit. So that's the kind of way Sunderland are looking at transfers at the minute and how they're kind of balancing you know, financial fair play and SCMP and all that kind of thing because that's it is a very confusing thing the way it works in the EFL. You've, of course, got the championship where it's financial fair play that you've got to meet there. So Sunderland are kind of looking at the, the need to meet the League One standards, but they also need to think about long-term if they get to the championship, splurge a lot of money now. They can only lose £13 million a year when they go up to the championship. So if they went up to the championship and they've splurged all this money on League One quality players, they're then left in a similar position that they used to have when they were in the Premier League where they've got a lot of players who are not quite up to the standard that they're playing but they've spent a lot of money on these players and no other teams are taking them off them. So they've got to continue paying them. They then yeah. can't afford to bring in better quality players that would improve them at the level that they're, at, they're then at. So it's the, the recruitment is really difficult for Sunderland at the moment and they've just got to do it wisely. It w wouldn't surprise me if it's kind of, I know it's not everyone's favourite thing, but January might be a couple of loan players trying to get the right ones in. Um, and as long as those loan players, you know, you, you do see plenty of young players come from Premier League teams on loan to League One and, and do very well in this at this level. Sunderland just haven't quite picked the right ones in the past. Um, so that's why I think January will be key. The players that they get have to be right. And if they are, then there's no reason why Sunderland can't have a very good second half of the season. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, Craig. Yeah. So we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. We have two final little sections just before we cap off, obviously. We're looking ahead finally to the Leicester under-21s game in the uh, in the so formidably named Leasing.com trophy that I never get tired of mentioning. And then we have the Gilling- we have Gillingham in the Cup on on Saturday, I believe it is, if I, can get, if I can get my words out. But yeah, we have those two games approaching. So I'm going to go around the table now and I'll ask you both just for your score predictions for those games. Just what you think the scores will be. So, Craig, what do you think the score will be in the Leicester game? And then what do you think the score will be in the Gillingham game? Um, I don't know a lot about Leicester under 21s, I must no, admit. No, I'm it's, sure. it's, it's not many um, people's area yeah. of expertise, I don't think. But uh, I, I think there'll be a lot of changes for the game and I'll go 2-0 Sunderland for that one. Uh, Gillingham, I'll go 2-0 Sunderland again mm. in that one. Nice Good and stuff. Easy. What about you, Sam? Um, I say it's, it's hard to call, but... Um, You'd like to see a few changes. I'd, I'd like to see someone like McGeoch play, um, get a good run in the team. He should be running the midfield against under-21s. That would be nice to see. I'd, I'd say probably agree with Craig. 2-0, pretty comfortable. Might take our foot off the gra- uh, The gas. There's no reason to mm-hmm. go for it as long as we've got the win. Gillingham's similar, but um, you obviously want to win every game. Like Craig said, the FA Cup, you get um, a financial boost for getting through the games so um, I'm going to go 2-1 on Saturday against Gillingham Fair enough good stuff I'll, I think myself I would go for a 3-1 win against Leicester just I think you know I think we'll play some fringe players which would be the better team because we have you know senior players yeah. and that'll make the difference and then against Gillingham I'm going to go for a 1-0 win I'm just going to go for that I just feel like I feel like it'll be alright I feel like again it'll be, it'll be a bit second string but we'll have enough on the day Yeah. so yeah I think we'll leave that there for a day that's all good stuff so thank you once again for listening to the Roker Rapport podcast and thank you for Sunderland Uni for once again supplying us with a place to record the Roker Rapport podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a five-star review if you would be so kind. Thank you to Craig for coming in. Thanks very much for having me. Enjoyed it. Oh, you're, very, you're very, very welcome. And thank you, Sam, once again. Yeah, thanks, travellers. Always a pleasure. Certainly is. Okie doke. Thank you very much and good night. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.